to Not So Much in the Neutral Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I'm your host, Kareen, joined as ever by the fabulous Kim. Hello. And the OKRE. Hello. Welcome to episode 10, Journey to Babel, or as I like to call it, it's not just J.J. Abrams who has daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ari and I were taking bets before this episode whether Kim would really enjoy it. I came down on yes, for sure. There's a lot of Vulcan business going on. Uh, Ari agreed, so it really wasn't that much of a bet so much it wasn't as... really a bet, no. Just agreeing with each other. Uh, so you're half right. I really enjoyed all the Vulcan stuff. The rest of it I was really bored with because it didn't actually do anything. It was just kind of like, there. Like, I mean, nothing was explained. Like, Kirk's just like, we're going on a mission. It's very political. No! They're going to a a diplomatic summit about the admission of, was it Corridon, into the Federation, which is an underpopulated world with dilithium mines Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that needs Federation protection so that Mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. interests, uh, like the Telluroids, who are thieves and liars, um, go and steal their shit and uh, oppress their people. And Sarek's very concerned that the Federation can. Oh, help you would them. like to think that Sarek is concerned, but well, I would argue that he I use is the word not concerned. They want the di- the Federation wants those sweet, sweet dilithium sure crystals for themselves. So they are voting whether to admit this planet into the Federation, which. In terms of what's happening on the news with the EU, yeah, yeah. Uh, feels very topical and present. Fine. There you go. See, you just had to really listen. Pay attention to the no, first I five minutes of the episode. No, I did know all that, but I kept watching the first, like, five, ten minutes, and Kirk's just like, we're on a conference for issues. And you didn't actually get the explanation of what was going on until at least halfway through the episode. But that's part of the mystery, the allure. I, it, for me, I love this episode because, of course, it is a murder mystery, except it is a very poor murder mystery because there is only one suspect. <laughs> I should note that there is yes. an episode of Next Gen that is almost exactly the same as this. Um, the one that starts with the, the diplomats beaming on board with the giant thing of fish and the diplomats are in stasis. Oh, that's the Loxana Troy episode. Yeah, except the plot is almost exactly the same as this one. I like this. I think I do too. this makes for a very interesting it's episode. It's so of much Star interest Trek. information about the Federation and, and the galaxy as it stands at this time. I will also put on a caveat to my enjoyment of this episode that I when I watched this, I was recovering from sixteen hours of car travel in three days. I was extremely tired <laughs> and I may have fallen asleep a little bit in the middle. <gasps> How could you? There was such suspense. It was also six o'clock in the morning when I was watching this. Oh, Kim, you gotta you gotta watch Star Trek at the right time so that you can properly you appreciate. We it. were at, we kept being because we sort of sat down in this sort of you know we enjoy Star Trek even if the episodes are bad the two of us but you know we sort of sat down with that sort of oh it'll be fine there'll be some bad things there'll be some good things and we kept going oh my god this is actually good. <laughs> well, I'm normally watching this. After a bunch of people come over to my house and then go home, and then I usually get about halfway through, and then I get up the next morning and finish the episode. It's just the way my week works. I can't imagine walking away from something in the middle of it. No. Falling asleep, yes. Yeah, but that's not the same. That's involuntary. Anyways, getting back to Journey to Babel. Uh, Question for our panel. Does the title make sense? I don't think it does. Well, they're going to a planet called Babel. Is the, no, the planet is not called Babel. The place where the summit is happening is Babel, because they mention it four or five times throughout the episode. So yeah. it's literally a journal to Babel. Bullshit. Nope. Definitely no. true. 150% no. true. Yes. No! Yes. He mentions it in logs several times. No. Yep. Verdict? 
Uh, we're both right, but I'm mostly right because it's not actually the name of the planet. It's the code name for the planet. Oh, okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Whose Star Trek knowledge is superior? You mean your ability to Google it? <sighs> Mine is so high. So this episode begins... This episode has a number of, of grand Star Trek traditions in the making. Number one, complaining about dress uniforms. To be fair, they do look very uncomfortable. What kind of fabric do you think they're made out of? They look very stiff. It's the 60s, so polyester. <laughs> yeah, polyester is some variety. It's made out of oil. I want to return to my original question. <laughs> Fine. Literally, the title does make sense. And they are going to codename Babel, yeah. the planet. Mm-hmm. But, like, do we want to dig into the uh, biblical reference here? Well, because the tower, wasn't the Tower of Babel being yes. built so that everybody could understand each other or something? No, it was, I can't remember the actual story, but I know it ends with, and oh. then God made a bunch of different languages. Oh, okay, no, I remember this. Yeah. Okay, I remember this. Everybody got together to build a tower to get closer to God, and God was super insulted, so he struck down the tower and divided everybody's languages so they couldn't understand each other to cooperate in the future. Is that not correct? I love the, how the expression on Kim's face is exactly the same as the one on mine. Disclaimer, none of us are religious. <laughs> I have read the Bible. Though. Yeah, so have I, but like a really I, long time ago. Sure, like, sounds reasonable. The, the Tower of Babel is usually in reference to like a higgledy-piggledy cacophony of languages and people who can't really communicate and can't get together. Mm-hmm. So in, well, it's, about, it's about communication, like um, the Babel fish in, in Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that... People are unable to communicate because they're speaking different languages or they're speaking all in tongues to each other. Yeah. In the way that there are many different alien species, but all of them, thankfully, are all speaking English. Oh, yes, yes, they are. (laughs) Some of them with sexy accents. I mean, in terms of how they don't understand each other, they basically mostly have different political positions based on... um, interests of their own planet yeah. capitalism in some cases we we only get three <laughs> three opinions yes they should join the federation because we want their sweet dilithium crystals then the pig man or the hog father is going right. to be calling him doesn't matter he's the hog father hmm. is like no we should not join them because we want we want to keep exploiting them get they're dilithium crystals? Again, yeah. like, don't look at me. This I, is the I'm going to ignore you for the rest of The ambassador <laughs> is the guy that Sarek, like, has the sort of front off with, with. Because he basically flat out accuses the Tellurites of doing illegal mining and, like, yes. hurting the no, 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 somehow. No, 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 just illegal mining. Yeah. They don't care. There's hardly any people on this planet that's chock-a-block full well, of what dilithium. what he says is... Again, why am I looking at you, Kim? It's chock-a-block <laughs> full of dilithium crystals. Yes, it is very full of dilithium. That's all that they care about. It's well, not he, the poor, he, oppressed people. Well, he does state that, though. No, he does not. Yes, he does. No, he, he says does not. He says, under Federation law, the wealth of Cordan can be administered for the good of its people. I do. Oh, in, that. That instead fair, of but it's not that the people there are being oppressed is that there's not they're really being screwed over by Tellurites no is that well, there's yeah. not enough people for them to properly mine it so the Federation is going to give them a hand of getting those pesky dilithium crystals out from their planet and yes. onto those sweet Federation ships and then the other opinion is blow it all to pieces there was a third opinion yeah I would assume that that was the Orions we never Orions no, oh, no, the Orion right. spy among the Andorians. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert for all of Star Trek, guys. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. The Orion Syndicate. Yeah. I'm now, excited. do they really go into the Orion Syndicate oh. in original series? Not in mm-hmm. original series. DS9, hell yes. They go into it some. Like, I know at one point yeah. Miles O'Brien goes undercover in the Orion Syndicate to try and bring something down. 
Possibly. Well, they're trying to... I think he's trying to bring down that one guy, ultimately. Yeah, that's true. And, and he ends up with this cat. Is it Han Solo? No. Fine. Ruin my dreams. <laughs> I thought I had something to look forward to. Apparently, I just have nothing. Just Miles O'Brien's pinched, pinched face. <laughs> But yeah, so they're getting ready. There's going to be 114 delegates and 42 ambassadors on one ship. They must have hella guest quarters. Or they're making yeah. people double up. Especially since we know that the crew complement of this ship is only like 200 and something. Three, it's 400. Something. 400. It's 400. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that's like that's like a quarter again of the crew. Where are they pitting all these people? Maybe they're making the lower ranks double up. <laughs> But no, if you're having delegates and ambassadors, you give them the ambassador suite. You would think it so. It makes sense on a, on a ship like the size of the Enterprise D, which is like massive and designed for this and kind of stuff. It has tons and tons like, of space. An original flavor Enterprise doesn't seem to have that much space. Also, the greeting room where they're having their original party is comfortable for at most 25 people. <laughs> yeah. Don't know where the other like 17 ambassadors are supposed to go. But they're not invited. There's a side party, but you have to kind of go up and over and then past the bowling lanes and then down the staircase, and that's the other party. Diplomatic cocktail party. Yeah. I, I, again, I always like diplomacy. I love space diplomacy. I love space diplomacy. Space diplomacy is good. Yeah, and so this part of the episode really appeals to me. So they're Scotty... Or, I'm just going to go through all of them. Scotty, McCoy, Chekhov... Oh, wait. McCoy and then Kirk are getting into their beautiful about their dress uniforms. Dress uniforms. And we are they dressing together in the same quarters? Like as though they were just sharing are a they shower. Standing in the transporter room like the entry. They're, yeah, the they're, they're just standing there. No, yeah. they're in like Kirk's quarters and then they leave and walk. No, they're, they're standing there and they're like we cannot agree on anything. On this. Did we all watch this episode, guys? I'm pretty sure they start out in Kirk's quarters. No, I like... think it's just because they're both pulling at their uniforms. It kind of looks like they're dressing. Bone says, my neck is in a sling. I think the word he is looking for is noose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we cut to a grouping of red shirts, which I really feel like there should be a plural noun for. Yeah. I wrote, like, so now we have a million security <laughs> guys. Yeah. But would you even, like... I think you would call it a murder of red shirts. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. A, a whoops. A bleed of red shirts. An offing of red shirts. <laughs> I'm writing down bleed for future reference. <laughs> I thought this was super cute where they're all standing there like, we have an honor guard. And like, you see them all there and they're all like primping their uniforms and getting yeah. like all, we gotta look good for the ambassador. Yeah. So eight red shirts, all with the highest waists you have ever seen outside of dinner theater. Yep. Um, they're right up to, like, their nipples. And they there's a terrible shot in the digitally remastered version of the little shuttlecraft coming into land. I was so disappointed that I was watching the remastered version. I want to see the original. Because this looked like it was a big, sort of interesting shot. There was no shot in the original. You just hear the sound. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually preferred this because before it was just them standing around listening to the intercom. Well, in the original script, they were actually supposed to start on Vulcan, but it was too expensive to get a matte painting of Vulcan. So they're just like, <laughs> and we'll open a door and they'll be there. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, by the way, I don't think we mentioned at the start of this po- episode is that this is a DC Fontana episode. Yeah. <gasps> Of course it is! Oh, yeah. hello, DC! I love you! It is our girl, DC, yep. uh, who I think really was the strongest proponent of, like, developing Vulcans yes. within the Star Trek universe. Um, I think most of the novels that she wrote afterwards were all Vulcan-focused as well. Yeah. 
so a lot of she essentially came to Gene Roddenberry saying, "I want there is the line in this side of paradise where Spock's like, no, like my mother was a school teacher and my father was an ambassador, and she really glommed onto that, and yeah. he was like, no, we need to explore this, we need to meet these people, and he said, well, fine, go ahead, and this is kind of what we came out with, which I think is a very interesting story. Like that was the core of what she was trying to explore. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of put a chocolate wrapper around that particular almond, <laughs> she's like, and it's a mystery and an adventure. Okay. <laughs> and episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, there are two Vulcans who come up. They, the, well, first we get the, the, the trademark, the Vulcan tambourines, <laughs> which is always great for scene setting. But they're not, no one has a tambourine on it's screen. It's soundtrack. Yeah, we also get this little. Great. We also get this little moment as they're waiting for the door from the hangar to open, where Bones is like, "Tell me again how you do the Vulcan salute." And Which Spock is very shows him. cute. It's so cute, and Bones is like pulling his fingers yes. apart. I also like that the the, the retreats line up perfectly, and their arms are crossed, so and their really phasers are at their shoulder, like. They have their arms crossed, yeah. 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 I don't... With the phaser in, like, the... In one hand. One hand. That's not even, like, ready, like... I think it's meant to be, like, like... I, I'm not gonna shoot you, I yeah. guess? Like, I don't I, I guess it's, like, the, they were trying to do something with phasers that was, like, the honor girl where they erase the Yeah. Swords. It's like, I could shoot you, but I'm choosing to... It's definitely nicer looking than holding the phaser up in the air. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> I, for one, would like to be greeted by, like, an arc of phaser fire that I can walk under. <laughs> Agreed... Agreed. So it comes down and we have, oh, guys, we have Sarek, Mark mm. Lennard, oh, only, Sarek. I think, like, seven years older than Leonard Nimoy, yeah. but somehow playing his dad. Looks hella young. He yeah. does. And Amanda, whose name was chosen, I think it means she who could be loved. That's why they chose that particular yeah. name, oh, which it had kind of significance in that way. Yeah. And they... Meta Grayson, for the record. Yes. It doesn't get in the episode. It's very important. They party down the runway. Yeah. Just being as Vulcan as can be. And they are fingering each other this entire episode. <laughs> the Vulcan finger touch. Yeah. Is that, that like is holding hands? It's like, yes. yeah, or like a kiss on the cheek. It's yeah. just a sort of a... The thing is, though, that it's not... You don't see them do it. You don't see Vulcans do it very often in front of other people. So it's actually shockingly intimate for them to be doing this in front of strangers. Two fingering each other all the time. <laughs> it, well, they don't. They're not into PDAs, Vulcans. Yeah, it's like the equivalent. It's like a symbol of like, yes, we are together. We are married. Like a kiss. Like a maybe like a kiss on the cheek. It's a gesture of intimacy. It felt yes. like they were hardcore fucking in front of my eyes all the time. I'm like, oh, I think. Part of it for this one is because, you know, Vulcans are supposed to be touched telepaths and you're supposed to have a bond, like mm-hmm. a mental bond with your partner. Mm-hmm. I think in this case it has something to do with Vulcan or Sarek needing to remain, like, calm with his, like, heart condition that he develops. I would love to believe that, but I really felt it's like so- he just wanted to flaunt the fact that he was screwing Spock's mom, like, constantly. <laughs> well, it's, it's also, it seemed like an accustomed gesture to me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like what we get from later canon with Vulcans is they don't really do that much touching even of their spouses in front of people. Like, it's still, it's Which unusually intimate. back to my theory. Well, I always sort of figured it was That they are because, screwing all the time. Oh, I believe that. But I also figured that the, the finger touching was largely because they are not a normal Vulcan couple and she is human. And she, and this was like a, a negotiation. It's like, well, I understand we're not going to hold hands or like kiss in public like a human couple would do. But I need something. 
<laughs> and it is fingering. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently Mark Leonard and I'm so sorry, I did not look up the actress who played... Amanda. Amanda. I feel like it's Julie something. We're going to pause. So we're going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Amanda is played by Jane Wyatt. They contacted Leonard Nimoy, like, what to kind of get some hints. Like, when you're playing a Vulcan, like, what kind of things are you working with? Like, mm-hmm. And he's like, it's a lot of, like, finger work, like, with the Vulcan salute. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's how they, they show a lot, they communicate a lot of their culture. And so those two actors got together and said, okay, well, if it's a lot of, like, hand gestures to, to demonstrate to the other world what they do, like, that is the thing that we're going to do, is yeah. that, that finger touching. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah, it, it really does work. They they seem so happy together. They, they do. do. They are the cutest. They are adorable. At some point in my notes, I just have Sarah and Amanda with a heart drawn around their <laughs> They are absolutely sweet through this entire thing. You absolutely understand why Sarah loves Amanda, and you understand why Amanda loves Sarah. Like, yeah. They really do. They They're, have a very yeah. strong relationship. They do. They're a great couple. I think it's something to do with the mental bond. Nah. Yeah. But Sarah. Also, just may like the human ladies because oh, when we right. see him again in Next Gen, he is on his second wife, who is also human. Yeah, he's got a bit of a kink in that way. Yeah. Uh, he likes to pass it off by the end of the episode as, "Oh, it was only logical to marry your mother." In what way? Is it in I'm the? I'm pretty sure he knocked her off. Is it no? <gasps> is it in the? Um, is it in? The... Well, that's not the first time that's happened. They've got there's another son. Is what? It... Yeah. Is it in the, um, is, I think it's in the first of the J.J. Abrams movies or something that Sarek at one point is telling Spock, well, I'm an ambassador to Earth. It makes sense for me to take a human wife. Bullshit. Which I think is probably where it came from. I think he probably was an ambassador to Earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he just fell in love with a human. Yep. Which is so charming. So cute. I love them so much. Although in the, in the original series movies, it kind of sounds like their early relationship was not entirely hearts and flowers like they it's sort of like they were drawn together and they they couldn't you know contain their lust and it ended up being quite scandalous at the beginning i'm sure it was she is a school teacher and that's there's the whole thing about this in enterprise is that um it gets scandalous when trip and paul are hooking up and her people are, like, horrified. And then, for reasons that I don't think make a lot of sense, some f- anti-Vulcan fanatical group creates a cloned baby of theirs. So Tripp and Paul have a baby by having cloning. And it's, like, a giant sure. scandal. <laughs> Enterprise! <laughs> but, yeah, it's, um... I think it probably was a little scandalous. Yeah. I think so, because we don't see a lot of half... Vulcans. No. Um, and the fact that I don't know if Amanda really gets Vulcans. She tries. In this episode, though, I feel like she has a disconnect. Well, I think she tries very hard most of the time, but there are certain things that, for humans at least, are very visceral and very difficult to override with logic. Not impossible, but very difficult. I feel like she understands Vulcans because she says she's lived with them for years. She's raised a Vulcan son. Mm -hmm. But I feel that when it comes to Spock, she is searching for something of herself in him. Yeah, that's what she says, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. So that's what I think is where her, I think that's where you think that maybe the disconnect comes in is that she wants to find that human aspect of Spock so that she has something that brings her closer to her son. 
Yeah, and she and doesn't. There's get also it. some the very simple re- other reason that she states is that can't you be human enough? Can't you be enough like me in this moment to save your father, who I also love? So like she's just in this place where, you know what? I don't care how long I've spent living by Vulcan philosophy and working really hard at it. What the fuck ever? My husband's dying and my son won't help. It's like it's awful, but I do get it. Mm, we'll explore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they just mosey onto some sexy bass notes mm-hmm. and hair shawls yeah. her cape with the collar the collar is incredible yeah it's like I'll, it's like I love a good traveling cloak and one with a dramatic collar is like the best idea ever yeah we there... also have the beginning of another grand Star Trek tradition which is Sarek being a jackass to his son this is a great moment because they're like oh introduce you like oh was... because for some reason, Kirk and Bones don't know who Spock's parents are. That was weird, and that, that, was weird. that rang really false to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, surely like, this would be that he is the only Vulcan in Starfleet. Yeah. And yes. his father is an ambassador with a human wife. Like, everybody's got to know. Yeah. He was the Vulcan ambassador to the Federation. He's now an ambassador at large for the Federation. Surely his bio is known. Yeah. Tongues would have wagged. Yeah. Yup. Um, they may have been even undulated. <laughs> so, yeah, Kirk's like, oh, well, why don't we get Spock, you know, a fellow Vulcan to come take you around the ship? And Zarg's like, no. Someone else. Someone else, please. <laughs> that lamp. <laughs> the lamp will do. <laughs> and then Spock's he's like, Kirk's like, ah, 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 And Spock's like, yeah, they're my parents. And then Kirk looks like... It's his birthday, <laughs> and it's Christmas all rolled into one, and his yeah. face says, Santa, I have been a very good boy! Yeah. <laughs> the Another thing I want to note about Amanda's outfit is that you don't see her ears right away. And I actually think that was deliberate, because she's got the sort of shawl. She's sort of, smiling! She is smiling, and but not right away. And we know that he's half human. Yeah, we do, but uh, that, until Spock says that, we don't go, oh, so she's human. And you can't see her ears right away. And I think that was deliberate. The other thing is that Amanda is, although she does not make a facial expression, like not a really vivid one until after they're introduced to Spock's parents, she's the one. Sarah walks right past Spock without even looking at him. She at least pauses mm-hmm. because she's nice. She's his mother. Yeah. <laughs> And she's like, I understand that there needs to be some formality to this occasion, but this is my she's kid. She's also, once Spock introduces them, incredibly smug. Like, yep, I made that. <laughs> so Kirk decides to take on the tour himself. Yeah. Mostly because like, I think he wants the gossip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He wants he's a everything. Troll. But my favorite part is that Kirk, and I assume he does this for every ambassador, essentially tours them around to all the most sensitive parts of the ship. So like, so this is where you would go if you wanted to blow it up <laughs> and kill everyone. Engineering. Here's how all the computer backup systems work. <laughs> Meanwhile, Amanda has taken Spock aside to go, you know, you're so much better looking when you smile. You can't call your mother every now and then. This you kind never of come home for a visit. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's been four years since I've seen you. And again, this gets more bizarre where Kirk like like ushers Spock over. Spock, explain computer to your dad. <laughs> Which we've all been there. <laughs> and Zarek's like, oh God, no. <laughs> And we kind of get the the backstory that Spock, that instead of joining the Vulcan Science Academy, 
like Sarek before him. Yes, is that he instead joined Starfleet. <gasps> it's a scandal! It's an outrage! <laughs> <laughs> he just disappointed his father by being a rebel and going against the machine. Yeah. It's like I, the worst rebellion of all time. I'm not going yeah. to your alma mater. I'm going to my <laughs> yeah. own school. Sarek on the other side point. of the galaxy. Yeah. Well, no, it's like he joins the army. No, do yeah. you know what? Yeah, there's that. But it also reminds me of that scene in 10 Things I Hate About You where she's like, I want to go to an East Coast school, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Sarek at some point basically goes, I cannot take any more of this nonsense and goes off to his quarters probably to have a heart attack. Yes. <laughs> um, leaving Amanda with Kirk. And this is when the gossip comes I in. I actually writes down, Kirk gets the dish from Amanda. <laughs> yeah, and Amanda is immediately 500% more charming than him, and Kirk is just loving this. Yeah, yeah it's it's girl talk. Yeah. Girl talk with Amanda. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very interesting, because, again, she is a human who has lived amongst the Vulcans, mm-hmm. and Kirk is like, so tell me everything. Yeah. She's like, well, it's not easy. <laughs> But I have a very fulfilling sex life, so... (laughs) (laughs) And she says that... She says Sarek's stated reasons for not wanting Spock to go off to Starfleet. Vulcans believe peace should not depend on force. Which is an interesting statement because later on there are lots and lots of Vulcans in Starfleet, but are we meant to take from this that they don't have a military of their own? I don't think they do. They have they have like ritualistic combats and stuff like that, but that's all have, from the before times. They have bodyguards because if we remember, like to Pring or to Pow, mm-hmm. but that was all ceremonial. That's that was too. that but was supposed to. No, I think the two people were like not maybe bodyguards because Attendance. why would you need a bodyguard yeah. in Vulcan? I don't think they have an army. I mean, because the, the idea that, that violence is not logical which gets said a couple of times during this conversation. Um, like, defense is one thing because they mention later on. I don't on, think they have but, a defensive force either. Well, no, but they we know that young Vulcans are taught to fight, but I guess that you're supposed to get from that that you're, you're not supposed to initiate violence. Yeah. And well, I guess that makes sense. Because we know they have ritualistic combat like, yeah. Yeah. For, as part of like Ponfar and stuff yeah. like that. And I think you're right. I think it's maybe more of like a self-defense yeah. type thing. But I, I I don't think they would have an army, yeah. like a standing military. I don't think they have anything of the sort. I think that any part of their space exploration is done under the umbrella of the Science Academy. I think, yeah. it, I think it is too. I know in Enterprise they have a ton of ships. Yeah. And I know they have weapons on them, but I think they're, I don't think they're military ships. I think they're, like, science vessels. Do we see a Vulcan ship in original series? In original series, no. In Enterprise, hells yes. Every other series, too. We, ha- we see a lot of Vulcan civilians, too, but we also see, like, Vulcan government ships. They just call them Vulcan ships. But, like, hmm. we never actually, I've never realized that before. We never see a Vulcan military ship, and it's honestly never crossed my mind that it's like, because they don't have any. In Deep Space Nine, I think you find out that there is a... Uh, a Starfleet vessel that is, that is all completely crewed 100% by Vulcan, <laughs> which has got to yeah. be like the most efficiently run ship in the fleet. Yeah. Kim wants in. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I will be the one human. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think they have a military. I guess that makes sense. It's just never occurred to me before. I know my mind's kind of blown. I mean, later on again, it gets very different. Like, there are tons of Vulcans in Starfleet by the next century, but at this point in time, 
Spock is just a scandal from head to toe. <laughs> I think you mean from ears to toe. Well, it's okay. Like, I mean, when you think about Tuvok, he's, I think, Tuvok enters Starfleet maybe like 20 years from this point or something mm-hmm. because he serves as a young a young officer under Sulu as his captain. Yeah. And then he leaves Starfleet and then he comes back. So at some point, it sort of becomes normalized and, like, more and more Vulcans go in. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe two walks the next one. Maybe there's more before him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's at least one other around the same time because it's um, the, the same character. I think it's the same actor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they sort of retconned in that, oh, yeah, that was Tuvok. Oh, no, no, no. It's Tim Russ. And, you know, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. You're thinking about the, the Enterprise, like, B generation. Was it B? Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd yeah. be in Generations. It's Tim Russ, but he's not playing a Vulcan. He's oh. a human. Well, that's confusing. Yeah, it is. But that scene, that the flashback to being on Sulu's ship, there's at least one other Vulcan there at the same time because she's played by Christy Alley. No, Christy Alley is in the movies. Yeah, I'm thinking of the movies. The scene that he flashes back to in the Voyager episode is from it's from the era of one of the movies or two of the movies. Okay, I don't remember that well. What's important though is in this moment that Kirk refers to Spock as his friend and his best officer. Aww, just something you always want to say to someone's mom. She's so pleased. Well, he's like a human in a Vulcan, home nowhere. He he really doesn't have a home anywhere but Starfleet. Aww, Kirk loves his mother-in-law so much. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, oh, something I forgot to mention earlier, but the thing that I really liked is that I really enjoy that this actress, I think she looks older than Mark Lennard does. Yeah. I really like that you can see the, the difference in the aging and it's part of like the, the difference in their species. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Well, they, according to so a part that didn't make it into the script, have been married for 35 years. How old does that make Spock? At least 35, 35 years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, she like she looked old enough to be the mother to a thirty-five-year-old. Whereas yeah. you're yeah. right, he's like a few years older than Fox. Yes. <laughs> yes. So their little tête-à-tête is interrupted by Uhura. This is a, this again. This is a very strange part where she's like, "Oh, there are some symbols and like noise. I can't find it. Weird signals. Weird signals. We're out." <laughs> Then we flash back to Ambassador Party number one or mm-hmm. two. We're I not think it's quite the sure. same party that just goes on all night. That's true. Where we have a number of very interesting characters. We have the Hogfather. We have Black Wizards. We have Goldfingers. Yeah, the, the two little Go Go like, Girls. Yeah, the are, two little gold spray painted. Are those the guys? Are those the guys that are supposed to be? getting entrance to the Federation, the little gold guys who are really interested in the, the square That we have the weird, with weirdly alcohol. long frame on them pouring drinks while Kirk is talking in the background. Yeah, that's why I thought they were supposed to be the species that was No idea. Out. No? I think it was just supposed to be, look at all these wacky aliens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, d- yeah. I did like the black wizards in space, though. Yeah. Like, they looked like they had walked out of the D&D movie. <laughs> I enjoyed the scene a great deal. It was it was actually rather pleasing. A lot of the costumes are recycled from other episodes, of course, like yeah. the Go-Go Girls in the background. It's basically, and... it's also the first time that we see, and I'm thinking of the Telluride's, but also the Andorians, that we see aliens that look very alien. Yeah. Like, the Telluride's, they look very alien. Yeah. I don't think it's the first time we've seen something that looks very alien. I'm thinking of the pipe the, cleaner the monsters. Pipe cleaner monsters. Yeah, yeah, that was very well, but, alien. But actually have FaceTime while they're looking very alien. Like, the pipe cleaner monsters were on screen for maybe 15 seconds, and they didn't have any dialogue. But this I, is, I like... I think this is a good example of, like, there's a lot of 
variation in what alien species look like rather than all humanoid. Like, paper mache pig man. Um, That is odd. I couldn't tell whether they were, we were supposed to believe that that was their faces or in their culture they just wear the scariest masks they could ever construct. I think we're supposed to believe it's their faces. It's what they look like. Well, that is a mistake. (laughs) We also see some Andorians, which are my favorite aliens. I like Andorians. Andorians are fascinating. Um, So Jeffrey Coombs, who is a character actor who shows up a lot in Deep Space Nine, plays an Andorian in Enterprise. But his antenna are like digitally animated, so they move and they like wiggle. Yeah, I am uncomfortable with that. <laughs> the Andorians are also um, one of the more alien humanoid races in that they have four genders. Yep. Um, and at the in the DS9 era, they actually have a fertility crisis that apparently Bashir solves. I don't remember. I, I honestly don't remember anything about Andor. We don't. I know we don't see Andorians. No. In- we mostly get passing mentions of them, but quite a lot in DS9 at least. Yeah, they mention the Andorians a lot. Um, because I don't actually think we see an Andorian on screen again until Enterprise. We see a couple in Next Gen. Really? But where? not like in a... F- I know we, we see them because that's the first time I remember seeing them. I don't know exactly where, but we do definitely see them. They're mentioned huh. quite frequently, well, though. Well, yeah, they're mentioned all the time, but I don't remember seeing them again. I do remember seeing... It's kind of hard to forget the people with the antennas. Anyways, at this party, Bones essentially goes up to Sarah and saying, Why are you so old? <laughs> Explain how you got so old. How is it to be old? Sarek then tries to excuse himself and succeeds. Yeah. Kirk. They have this little conversation with Sarek too, where I think it's with Kirk, where he's like, so, but why are you retiring? You're so young. You're only 102. You're so old. At which point Bones immediately turns to Amanda and is like, and dish. What was Spock like as a child? Did he yeah. run? Did he play? Did he have, like, a little hoop and a stick that he did? <laughs> did he do community theater? And Amanda, who has no sense of self-preservation for her son's dignity whatsoever. I think she's just so thrilled to have friends, like, her son has friends that are not Aww. going to judge him for having a childhood. Yeah, well, not in the same way. But I, like, if she makes fun of him, they're not gonna—they're not gonna lose respect. They're gonna know that it's for out of affection. That's true. Well, anyone looking at Bones's face would know that he. Yeah. Like, as this soon is as she just says, "Well, it was like a teddy bear." Bones just likes that teddy bear. Yes. It's like Christmas and Santa. I have been so so good. That's like one of the best facial expressions I have ever seen on DeForest Kelly yeah. ever. Yeah, he has a lot of good face in here. So yeah, Spock had a pet. Salek? Salek. Good yeah. enough. If you go to the uh, Star Trek Museum in Vulcan, Alberta, you can see their version of the Salek. <laughs> teddy bear with fangs. Six inch fangs. Yeah. yeah. So Chekhov, like, beepity beeps into this party, alerting all of these ambassadors that, hey, bad stuff is happening. You guys should panic. This is just one more of those things where, for some reason in the Star Trek universe... No one has heard of, like, just having one side of a conversation audible. We have intercoms and we have communicators. And I know it's for narrative reasons, but on a cultural level, it's really strange. It's a terrible mistake. 
Because he's like, there's there's a bad thing. There's a, there's a ship that's yeah. following us. And like, he goes to like an intercom and does it. But, but like, still, everyone can hear you, man. out into the yeah. entire room. But yeah. we're supposed to believe that they didn't all hear this? Because later on, they're calling the bridge going, what's going on? What's going on? Like, they well, don't know. that's because the ship is rocking around yeah. and they're being well, attacked. Especially the, during the end of this conversation, doesn't Kirk say in like a room full of people standing next to people, don't tell anyone about this. Yeah. <laughs> They'll See, just freak Let's just out. keep it between you, me, the wall, and the 42 ambassadors who can <laughs> hear us. And uh, Sarek is, kind of admonishes Amanda, saying, like, you embar- you're embarrassing Spock. This is back in their quarters. Yes. This is later. Yeah, yeah. yeah this He's is after... Starfleet. He has to command respect. And Amanda's like, you're proud of him. Yeah. I actually really like this. I really like this. Up until this point, Sarek has been so frosty to Spock. Even for a Vulcan. Yeah. And for him to just be like, you actually get the fact that like he is proud of his son and yes. he's really, he cares about him and he respects the job that he's doing. Mm-hmm. That he's come around to Spock's life decisions, but yep. is just too much of an asshole to say yes. so. <laughs> yeah. So back on the bridge, there's... A ship following that's going warp 10 and everyone does a collective. (gasps) Despite the fact that they go at warp 10 all the time. Yeah. Sorry. Just letting that go. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not answering hails. No, of course it isn't. And and they go through this whole thing and they keep bringing it up over and over and over again. There are no authorized Starfleet ships in this area. Are we sure? Let's check. Who would you think it is that's tailing you and then taking dive bombs? (laughs) Yeah, they definitely (laughs) didn't file a flight plan for that. (laughs) Like Captain Bridie playing like some kind of like crazy prank? No. At this point, Sarek decides to, like, take a walk to get confronted and set up the murder mystery, which mm-hmm. is very poor, where the pig man comes up and is like, tell me what you want! And Sarek's like, ugh. He wants to know which way Vulcan is going to vote. Yes. But before that happens, to set up a little bit more tension, oh, bullshit. Sarek takes a pill. Oh, yeah. Well, there's this, because i completely forgotten about the heart attack thing, and when... Kirk asks, why did you retire so young? And he said, says, I had other concerns. And then later he sneaks back to the cocktail party for whatever reason to take a pill. Yeah. And drink booze. I wasn't thinking heart attack. I was thinking Van Dye syndrome. Yeah, I was thinking that. I forgot about the heart attack thing. Yeah. Too. I was, also I was like straight on, oh, this was introduced way earlier than I remember it being. Yeah. You would love it to be that clever. I would. I would. Although I do believe they mention uh, heart problems being part of Van Dyke Syndrome later, but I'm not 100% sure on Yeah, that. I'll be interested when we get to that. We'll episode. see. Yeah. So Sarek and the Pigman get into a shoving match, but the best part of that is the Pigman kind of threatens him, yeah. and Sarek says, threats are illogical, and, and he's like, you're gonna pay! And Sarek's like, mm, payment is usually expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. do love Sark, and I think he's somehow more human than Spock. And I well, think that he's Spock, Spock is supposed to be like the most Vulcan of the Vulcans. Yeah. but he is very. Well, he human? Spock. Spock, I think, spends a lot of his time overcompensating for not being fully Vulcan. So he's yeah. he's way more careful about it. He's it's like how I'm always talking about Vorik from next gen is he's a lot more relaxed and he'll just sort of go with what's what's happening and going Mm -hmm. on he doesn't always feel the need to hold himself completely separate spock's very insecure yeah until quite late in his life he chills out a lot later on when he's older but at this point he's very so the hawk father is murdered in a jeffries too (laughs) (laughs) and 
obviously, if this had been an actual Agatha Christie murder mystery, Arya and I would have pegged that guy for dead within... Oh, about five seconds after him showing up. Yeah, obviously. Well, because he would have been the the one of the most prominent guest stars. Yeah. (laughs) And if this were an Agatha Christie mystery, Mark Leonard would have been the murderer. Uh, So, dead guy. And apparently, Bones can diagnose within about three seconds his neck was broken by an expert. Diagnosis? (laughs) Murder. Although, I don't understand why they say that his neck was broken by someone. Surely he could have taken a, like, tumble down that Jeffrey's tube. Although, why the fuck was he in the Jeffrey's tube? (laughs) Well, maybe Kirk didn't cover that on his ambassadorial tour. And he just tripped and fell? Yeah. Down, like, six levels? Yeah. Why doesn't anyone... Couldn't it just be a terrible accident? Couldn't it? No. Okay. Well, so this, it's just a very it's a very convenient scene to set up because um, who is it that asks this? I think it's I think it's Kirk. Who on board could do this? And Spock's like, oh, my dad could. Yeah, he definitely could. All the Vulcans. My dad is a murderer. Yeah. He says this is um, apparently Spock without actually examining the body or looking at Bones' reading. It's like, oh, well, this particular way of net breaking is called Talshaya. It's a traditional, a traditional neck-breaking Vulcan method from the old times, because sure. It's it's a merciful execution. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder how they practice. You do have to wonder that. <laughs> wait, wait, this goes back to our conversation about Vulcan military yeah. training. Well, I assume that this is part it's of like, the same training where they send seven-year-olds up into the desert to die. Yeah, it's like a tradition. Uh, yeah. Uh, but who, what, who and it. or what are you going to practice on? Anyways, but... And, and Spock says, well, Vulcans don't believe in violence, they don't approve of violence, but my father could kill if he had to, and quite efficiently. Well, it's illogical to kill without reason. But if he had a reason. And he's capable of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what the hell, Spock? What the hell? Well, he was asked a straight question, he has to give a straight answer. Well, no, he volunteers. Who could have done this? Not saying that, like, anyone on this ship really could have killed someone. Yeah. But, uh, no, my dad! <laughs> It was probably dad. <laughs> but it turns out that it doesn't matter because they go to see Sarek and ask for an alibi and he immediately collapses. Well, they, they stroll into the ambassadorial suite number 36 without knocking. Mm. Like Amanda could have been naked in there applying some kind of soothing balm to herself. Like, we don't know. Wouldn't you knock? <laughs> Wouldn't you knock? Oh, Hello? God. Oh my decent. god. Are you wearing a clothes? Yeah, so Sarah collapses. It, it, no, it, it, no, Ari. Going back, this is a great moment because she, they essentially talk to Amanda and, and accuse her. And she's like, shut your face! What are you talking about? He could never. And then Sarah comes in and he's like, yeah, it's logical that I would have murdered him. <laughs> yeah, I love that. They are the most compliant murder suspects of all time. Yeah, I can absolutely understand how you would think I would kill him. Oh, yeah. yes, it does make sense that I would kill him, oh, wouldn't it? I'm totally capable of it, too. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an alibi? No! I was by myself meditating. <laughs> He's, like, literally the perfect Which, by the way, suspect. as it turns out, is a lie. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, so he's rushed off to sickbay. Kirk tries to, like, commiserate with Spock. Like, I'm sorry about your dad. Spock's like, I need to work. Is that okay with you? Yeah. And um, the mystery ship is still very mysterious. Good, good, And Uhura picks up a coded message that they can't decode, but they do find out that the mystery ship is transmitting to someone on board the Enterprise. Of course it is. Of course it is. Obviously. You have the calls coming from inside the ship. Yeah. Of course it is. There's nothing else around them. There's no other ships. So They're on a journey. Yes. Yeah. 
And then we have sickbay where we have what I thought was quite a funny conversation where Bones, it's like Bones and Amanda and Spock and maybe Kirk. And he's like, so it's basically a heart attack. And he turns to Amanda and he says, has this happened before? Does he have a history? Has he had any other heart attacks? And Amanda's like, no, of course not. And Sarah's like, actually three. <laughs> yeah. I just chose to keep them to myself. Yeah. I didn't want to bother anyone. <laughs> BT Dabs, I was actually having a heart attack while that guy was being murdered. <laughs> It's also super convenient yeah. alibi. What yeah, were you doing? Sure, I was having a heart attack. I was by yeah. myself having a heart attack. <laughs> yes, a heart attack. So apparently he has uh, some kind of heart thing that Bones could solve, I guess, but he would need a blood. <laughs> Lots of blood. Okay. Something about how you can't do normal heart surgery on Vulcans and he needs special blood. surgery. Okay. I need a lot of blood. <laughs> this surgery is my favorite thing ever. Because Bones spends the entire episode going, yeah, I'm really not qualified for this, but okay, let's cut him open. Yeah, I've never done this before. I think I have a book somewhere. It's like, you know what? it's the worst doctor of you know all what, time. Though, I Thank actually you like this better than like the three times he's had to operate on Spock before and he's just complained about it. This time he actually says, look, I've never done surgery on a Vulcan before. I just, you guys should really know I have never done this. I've read about it, but that's not really the same thing as actually cutting someone open. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And I'm not going to, I don't think we need to go through the incredibly complicated nonsense about the weird drug and the transfusions. It's this really is what just... what I was talking about when I said the Vulcan stuff was good and the rest of it was kind of meh. I thought this part was unnecessarily complicated. What it comes down to is there's not enough Vulcan blood in the blood banks, so Spock has to be a donor. It's but he... not just Vulcan blood, is that he has a rare blood type yeah. called T-. But he also, Spock also needs to take a crazy-ass experimental drug that's never been tested on Vulcans to produce enough blood. Yeah. It's ridiculously complicated. Basically, all that actually matters is that he needs a transfusion. He needs a donor, and Spock's the only one who can do it. For whatever reason. So, Bone starts... Because he's his son, and that's yeah. the same yeah. rare Magic, rare, yes. whatever. Unnecessarily and complicated detail. Bone starts to tell the odds of them surviving, and Amanda says, Stop, never tell me the odds, <laughs> showing that she is also... Han Solo's sister. <laughs> I actually heard that more like she's been her, like, in t- like the last 35 years of them constantly quoting the odds of shit. And she's like, yeah. please don't. No more odds. And then Bones just goes on, and I'm going to need so much blood. I need to be, like, swimming in blood. I'm going to need, like, a bathtub of blood. I also have a lot of questions about Bones' medical capabilities and that he does not carry enough blood of one type to do a surgery at any time. Well, it's just, it's specifically Vulcan blood that they don't have enough of. I'm saying if you know you're going to be on an ambassadorial ship with 42 very important people, wouldn't you medically prepare for everything? Well, I would, but apparently Starfleet would not. Like the President of the United States travels with blood. But that's the president. <laughs> that sounds amazing. He travels with enough a supply enough supply of blood to like replace everything that's in his body. The other thing though is that we also this is like many, many years after when this episode was made, and at the time this episode was made, the idea of like being able to store blood for a decade without it going bad and still being able to use it was completely crazy and out there and would not have occurred to them. So it's a little bit the technology of the day. Also just really contrived for narrative reasons. Yes. So there's that. 
Yeah, so there's there's a lot of family drama that goes on that I think we can very easily gloss over because mm-hmm. cut to a crazy ass fight yeah. between Red and Dorothy. Fucking nowhere. Something must have gotten cut out cut out of here. It must have been because it goes straight from a, a tense family scene in sick bay to. Kirk and the Endorian having a knockdown, drag out fight in the hallway for no reason. reason. We don't understand what's happened. Again, we have no context of why he's walking around. Like, what is he doing? Oh no! Like, it yeah. is a like bouncing off the walls, throwing yourself sideways. Kirk knife fight. Yes. I'm choosing to believe that Kirk was just sort of walking down the hall, and this guy sprang out at him like a ninja. But why would you do that? I though? don't know. Well, that we don't even really. That this guy's mission on board was to like sow chaos and despair, and maybe just killing Kirk was for fun, but I don't know. Um, so Kirk gets stabbed. Yeah, there's also the part where you can very clearly see that whoever the makeup person was that day did not put enough Andorian makeup on that guy's neck. <laughs> I missed that bit. <laughs> oh no. So yeah, Kirk does get stabbed, but somehow still wins and still keeps his shirt on. What the hell? I know episode? his shirt did not get ripped <laughs> off. Although there is an earlier scene when he picks up the phone where he is shirtless for no good reason. There you go. That Except was to make up for it not getting ripped off in the fight. I don't understand. Like, you how? are getting into a knife fight. How did you not lose your shirt? How, how, he, I mean, he has looked at a fight and his shirt has fallen off. <laughs> He's been watching it from the bleachers. It melts off. <laughs> yeah, so Kirk's injured and... Um, okay, where are all those red shirts now? Yeah, that's not, they're all they're standing still, out still in the, <laughs> the hangar. Shuttle bay. Like, yeah. no, no one said we could leave. Do we have to stay? <laughs> I guess we live here now. And he... he like, stumbles sexily over to the intercom system and calls security. Not a medical team, because he's a selfless goddamn hero. <laughs> yeah. And apparently he's critically wounded. Whoopee! Yeah. So here it comes the stupid dilemma uh, that Spock's like, no, I can no longer give blood to my dad because I have to stay and be boss of the ship. And Bones like, and solve this murder. Turn it over to Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> I love Literally that. everyone is like, his mother's like, any competent officer could command this ship. <laughs> I love that that was the other option. I was like, no, no, Scotty's over there. He's, he's he just can do in it. the next room. He has actually a far better track record for not getting this ship almost blown up yes. than either of the two officers ahead of him in command in the chain of command. Fair point. But Spock says, command does not recognize personal privilege. You will be saving the Vulcan ambassador on yeah. a very important integral mission to Federation. Pretty sure they'd be cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so they've got this Andorian in uh, lockdown. and This is a weird part. They said, yes, we've done a verifier scan and the truth drug on him. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've got a truth drug just hanging around that you've never bothered to use ever? We never hear it again after original series. There's also a verifier scan, whatever the balls that means. But lie apparently, detector? I assume that's like lie detector. Yeah, but that they we didn't do again. like an X-ray of him to see if he's actually an Andorian. <laughs> Whoops! They're like, man, he must be part of some preconceived plan. They actually have a conversation, like it's Spock, I think, talking to the actual Andorian ambassador. My love. Oh, I loved this guy. He's fascinating. He seems. I didn't. This whole speech, I didn't get all of it, but it was just. It's like, oh yes, we are a violent race. But we have no quarrel with Kirk. Well, there's no reason for murder, said the creepiest guy ever. Yeah. <laughs> and Spock's like, well, fair enough. No need to suspect you either. Yeah. Spock is a bad detective. Yeah, he, he is, is a terrible detective. Um, but he does say he thinks the attacker was conditioned. Like, that explains his resistance to questioning. Um, 
And Amanda basically comes... Does she come into Spock? She comes to his quarters. Yeah. And she says, look. <laughs> look. You need to hand over command and give give blood. Spock's <laughs> like, okay, but murder. Well, no. He he keeps... She keeps saying, you like, again, human... Wise, this would be absolutely no discussion. You would you would give the blood to save your father, and she says like the most important thing is your father's life. Nothing is as important as your father's life, and to him, is that the, the command, the logic. He's like you don't understand. You you don't understand what it means to be Vulcan. Well, he also says my father would not want me to do this, which is oh, probably... his father does though, because his father hears McCoy and McCoy and Kirk's plan to trick Spock. And yeah. doesn't say anything. Yeah. Which leads me to believe that, no, actually his father wants him to do this. But Spock believes, like, interplanet... You can't save one person's life to risk interplanetary war. Yeah. Which, he's wrong. He's very Which, again, wrong. why Spock is the most Vulcan of the Vulcans, because even Vulcans, they bend a little bit. You bend the rod, you don't break it. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, Vorg always puts on the Hawaiian shirt. He buttons yeah. it up to the collar, but he wears the Hawaiian shirt. I also shirt. quite like like when people ask Tuvok about his family. Like, do you love your children? Do you love your wife? And he says, they are part of my existence. My existence would be less without them. So, like, they do have those bonds. They just don't characterize them the same way. And I expect that if you had asked Sarek, well, he wasn't, you know, dying of heart problems, he would have said, no, that's clearly an unacceptable risk to take. But, mm. you know... He's, you know, still a person. Again, this is a crazy moment for her. She talks about Spock being bullied when he was a child, which, of course, all of our hearts collectively broke. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That he would come back, and inside his human part would be crying. So she very much sees him as, like, a Mars bar. (laughs) (laughs) Inside he is a gooey, caramel, like, Mm -hmm. weird nougat-y human center with, like, a Vulcan wrapper. Is the metaphor I'm going to go with. Alrighty. But he is Vulcan, but he is choosing to be Vulcan. But I think a lot of what the Vulcans do is the choice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Because Vulcans in their undisciplined state are not chill people at all. No. But this is the moment where I I didn't quite understand it. She's, I'll hate you for the rest of my life. I just sort of, I thought about it for a little while, and I think that she just hasn't slept since it happened, and she's very upset, and she's very tired, and this is all too much for her. I remember my mom saying to all of us (laughs) that you have my absolute unconditional love, and no matter what you do, I will always love you. And we were like, what if we murder someone? I will still love you. And it's like going through all the different scenarios, and that's... Did you... Posit if I refuse to give a blood transfusion to my dying father? <laughs> I Could you really call her now and have asked? Call I will her now and check. Maybe I'll Facebook message her. <laughs> hey, mom. Um, and then she slaps him. Yeah. Yeah. This is and a then really emotionally this, charged moment. And there's this awful little moment because she stomps out of his quarters. I assume to stop half a hallway away and immediately regret her actions, but. He, fa- he he keeps walking after her. She goes out the door, and he puts his hand on the door as it closes. Yeah. And my heart split into, like, a million pieces. He loves his mom. He yeah. does. But he needs to get over himself as well. Yes. I feel like he is in some ways trying to punish his father. Yes. Oh, I mean, definitely. Well, I mean, it says that they've, they've, they've been fighting for 18 years over his decision to go into Starfleet, and they haven't seen each other in four years. I mean, yeah. there's so much built-up resentment there, and I think 
I think the situation is which one of them is going to break first. Basically, and, yeah. Like, I know, the was... olive branch of, like, saving your life. I think it was yeah. Sarek by not saying anything. Yeah. I would agree that Sarek accepts his son's half-human, half-Vulcan blood mm-hmm. into himself and makes the decision to live rather than adhering so close to the Vulcan standards that would cause his death. Mm-hmm. Does Sarek at any point say that he doesn't want the transfusion from Sarek? No, no, no. Because no. no. that's the thing is, I I think he, like, because I mean, especially with the scene where he gets after Amanda for, like, teasing him yeah. in public, you can see how much Sarek loves him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't think the fact that he's half human has ever been an no, issue for Sarek. I think it's... Because, like, he married the woman. He knew what he was getting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... The... I do want to note here that, again, there is a really upsetting scene in one of the original series movies that actually has Spock's birth in it. Um, he's really? not... Yeah. Have I watched this movie? I don't know, have you? But the words, he's so human, come up. Um, however, in this case, I think there's a really good reason that we don't actually see Sarek having an opinion on, not the, will I, won't I take the blood transfusion, because it's logical to take the transfusion, but with the Spock giving up command so that he can give the transfusion once the situation changes, I think the reason that Sarek does not is not put in a situation where he can have an opinion on it or talk to Spock about it or anybody else is because in the intervening time, Sarek has sort of come around. He has chilled out quite a lot to the point where he is proud of his son, but Spock's still where he was the last time they talked. So this is all Spock's thing at this point. Like his, like my father wouldn't want me to do this. He would say it was illogical. He would say it was human. He would say I was doing something wrong, but we never actually get Sarek's opinion on that because he's been, you know, had a heart attack and lying in a sickbed. I think that Spock had a very difficult childhood to navigate, and as well, Sarek as a father <laughs> had a, a, a difficult time understanding what being a father to a half-human, half-Vulcan would be like, and mm-hmm. so projected a lot of his self-questioning and self-doubt onto his his child. Well, Spock does it too. Well, Spock recognizes that his father... He doesn't have his father's implicit trust and approval. I think he feels like there's constantly proving to be done. Yeah. yeah. I have to prove that I'm worth my father's approval. I have to prove that I'm Vulcan enough for him. Yeah. yeah. Which is... And that is decades and decades of his life he's like that. Yeah, and so that when he finally is Vulcan enough and could go to the Vulcan Science Academy, he instead makes, chooses a different path. And I I think that, you're quite right, it is a rebellion. Mm -hmm. I'll show you. Yeah. Um, But I think it's also that sort of liminal space that Spock occupies, that he's not Vulcan completely, he's not human completely, and he sort of looks at the path in front of him and he thinks, I could do this, but I'm, I mean, they might accept me as being fully Vulcan, but I'm never really going to be fully Vulcan. I'll never completely belong here, so I have to go make myself a new place somewhere else. Mm. Was joining Starfleet something of an acceptance of his human side? I think it was a himself. willingness to explore it, certainly, if he's going to spend all that time around humans. I don't think so. I think it was to prove to himself how Vulcan he was. By comparison. Yeah. It's interesting. Because he is more Vulcan than many Vulcans. 
And I think this Falcons is why... Falcons are sassy. Yes. Yeah. I think this is why DC Fontana spent a lot of time exploring Spock. That he is of two cultures, yeah. which have very little in common. Mm. And and what it means to be someone who has to navigate between those those two worlds. So yeah, in that way, Spock is a fascinating character. There is that conflict within himself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they talked about, like Leonard Nimoy and um, Mark Leonard. Leonard, yeah. Leonard. Talked about it was like, this is a gener- like, what was happening in the 60s was that gap, that generation gap of un- understanding. The older generation did not understand what all this hippie bullshit was about. <laughs> yeah. like they then they couldn't, and this is, this is again another generation thing. The older generation, what you did is you went into Star Trek Academy, you went to the Vulcan Academy, and this is and like he's going off and joining Starfleet. I don't understand your life choices, and I think that, that again is the other conflict there. Mm-hmm. Cool, yay! So. <laughs> Kirk wakes up in sick bay. Bones fills him in. Sexily. He wakes up sexily, Ari. Sure. And then Kirk's immediately like, okay, fuck this noise. I'm not letting him commit patricide. (laughs) So they hatch (laughs) a plot. They do. I loved this because it was like his friends going, oh, he's acting like a fucking moron. We need to fix this immediately. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite sweet. And Sarah does hear them and knows what they're doing and says nothing. nothing. Yeah. Which means, I think, that he actually approves of this plan. (laughs) Yeah. But he also wants to live, I oh, think. Yeah. yeah. It's logical. It is logical to be alive. Um, so they drag him on and they start sucking the green blood out of him. Mm-hmm. And then Spock, like, shoots up thing. No, I'm sorry. Hang on. Because Kirk's plan is to, no, no, to, to act like he's totally fine, mm-hmm. to swan back onto the bridge, drape himself over the captain's chair. Sexily. There you go. Um, so that Spock can be convinced he's fine so that he can go into surgery. This scene is hilarious because everyone looks up and you can see literally everyone on the bridge except Spock going, ooh, this ain't right. <laughs> and Bones is hovering like six inches away from his shoulder. Uhura in the background looks really concerned about this whole situation. Um, and the second Spock leaves, Kirk's like, oh God, call Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Because the plan, of course, is to fake that he's okay and then hand over command to Scotty because Kirk's not an idiot. <laughs> and Scotty's not incompetent. No, no, he's really not. Scotty is really good at being captain. He has not yes. once blown the ship up. So somehow this subterfuge works, despite the fact that we all know that Kirk is a terrible actor. And when Spock is about to go, this is really go down, <laughs> he suddenly shoots like, "Oh no, I have to tell Kirk something. Something about the ship." And Chapel without saying a single word. They just sort of look. They, she she walks bones. over and then sedates him. Because <laughs> <laughs> her, her and Bones just sort of make eye contact and she just turns around and goes. <laughs> yeah. Bones is like, no one gets that fucking bed in my sick bay. <laughs> and there's, there's again a weird interlude where it turns out the, the transceiver where the mysterious message is coming from is in the Andorian's ear that cracks off. Yeah. Making a terrible noise. Fake yeah. antenna. It is a horrible Fake sound. antenna! Yeah. So the ship starts attacking. Ugh. The ship, the Enterprise shakes a lot. Surgery is not going well because no, it keeps the lights being no. Brighter. All the ambassadors are calling the switchboard to find out what's happening. <laughs> Kirk's answer to this is a glorious bit of repartee. So her is like, all the ambassadors, they want to know what's going on. And Kirk says, tell them to take a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then hang up on them all. I can see why he did not get his position for his diplomacy mm. skills. <laughs> 
So they bring me and Dorian up to the bridge. And this is where Kirk, who I, for whatever reason, has intuited, you're not a Dorian. Who are you? Well, his ear cracked off. Yeah. And it was hollow. That is pretty horrifying. Oh, the other thing we have to talk about here, briefly, is that the power goes out and Sarah's heart stops. Yeah. And but surgery. they have a portable cardio simulator. An old portable cardio simulator. Yeah, which I think is actually a really yeah. neat bit. Little bit of... Yeah, yeah. future technology yeah. seeking. Because so, yeah, they're, they're using the, the old-fashioned bio-beds. With the, the big clunky metal thing over the, the torso, which I assume was developed so they wouldn't actually have to show surgery in Star yes. Trek. <laughs> Very clever. Good job. And yeah, they have to go and get this this old, like, secondary emergency thing, which, mm. yeah, was really cool. Just a neat little bit. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, and Kirk's big plan, while he's sort of trying to get this Andorian, this not really an Andorian spy, to fess up to what the hell he was doing on this ship, um, Kirk's like, Fuck this. Play dead. Yeah. We're going to lure them in and then blow the crap out of them. And lo and behold, they do. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, they, they hit it and they're like, yay, we're going to go in and tell them what's what. And the spy's like, waha, they had a plan to self-destruct, as do I. Yeah. Except apparently he timed it incorrectly and accidentally poisons himself six minutes too early. Yeah. Who cares? When you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. And yeah. He slightly miscalculated, again, proving that he is, like, the worst spy of all Everybody time. Everybody noticed, by the way, that during this crisis, the red alert is going, but it's silent. First time. No. no it's flashed before. It's flashing, but I don't remember it being that yeah, silent for the entire time is, before. It is. Because sound is hard. Yeah. And it turns out that it was an Orion smuggling Yeah, he was a spy for the Orion syndicate, and everyone involved in it. So the motive was crime. Like, yeah, further crime. crime. It was crime. Crime in the pursuit of other crime. Um, the Orion Syndicate was trying to, I guess, prevent the Cordon from entering the Federation because I assume they were buying Dilithium off of the Telluroids. Yes. Um, the Orion Syndicate, I cannot wait until we get to it later on in later series because they're fascinating. The only thing I remember about them is every time they came up, I'm like, but none of them are green Orions. No, they don't need to go do their dirty work themselves, Kim. They have people for that. It drove me nuts. If you're going to call it the Orion Syndicate, at least have a token Orion hanging around. Um, the surgery was a success. Of course it was. Obviously. Even though he's a terrible surgeon, and Spock still Spock, does gets things done. Yeah, yeah, Spock wakes up and he's like, that guy was an Orion. And everyone's like, we know. You got it. Chill, Chill it out. And it ends by breaking the fourth wall, which was spooky, <laughs> yeah. where Bones just telling everyone to shut up. <laughs> yeah, because he shoves Kirk back into bed, because yeah, he, he, did not, he did not hand over command to Scotty because that thing started attacking. Um, the thing I liked here is that Spock and Sarek um, actually kind of bond yes. with each other by yeah. making fun of Amanda's emotions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so emotional. Why did you marry her? imagine growing up in that house i would have murdered both (laughs) (laughs) starting with spock i think because sarah i would still be having sex with Mm -hmm. okay i have to say i actually thought the ending and the quip was funny holy crap kim you know what i really liked this one i know that was legitimately funny (laughs) it's a really hard day i medically yeah i chuckled (laughs) wow wow Truly, this is a Star Trek miracle. (laughs) Yeah, Bones has had a really long day. (laughs) It's been a long day for everyone. I don't think anyone slept in, like, the 72 hours that this episode takes place in. 
Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a tense day. And they haven't even started negotiations. No, they're not even at the end. Awkward, awkward. All right, so uh, life lessons we learned from this, Kim. Um, don't transport all your ambassadors on one ship. <laughs> Damn, that's a really good life lesson. <laughs> wow. This that does feel like a huge mistake. Like, and they have no like other ships traveling with them for protection. Yeah, also if you're gonna take all the ambassadors on one ship to a conference, why not just have the conference on the one ship while you have all the ambassadors? That is an excellent question. Good point. But we don't know if there were more ambassadors. They could have had that. more to pick. They yes. could have been. But that's my that's my life lesson is don't put all your ambassadors in one ship. Not something the Federation learns, unfortunately. Um, Ari, your life lesson? Don't assume you know how other people, for lack of a better word, feel about you. (laughs) Uh, My life lesson would be to always travel with enough blood. (laughs) (laughs) Always. You never know when you're going to need it. Just take the extra suitcase. (laughs) Uh, Kim, your count. Two dead, plus a ship of unknown number. That's true. Are your count? Uh, I think I got everyone, but I may have missed some ladies at the diplomatic cocktail party. But the ones I'm sure of are nine ladies and five people of color. Including my favorite wizards. Including your favorite wizards, yes. I missed the wizards. They, they were amazing. amazing. They had incredible robes. That was, Such those good were robes. great costumes. I appreciate a good robe. Yeah. Like, part of the reason why I enjoy the Fellowship of the Ring movie so much is so there's like good robes oh such great robes. also probably yes. very useful costumes because you could just grab people off the lot and be like here just throw this on over whatever you're wearing you're an alien yeah that's true yeah. so i think overall a really enjoyable episode definitely. yeah definitely it was a I, good episode yeah i had to remind myself to write notes because i was actually sitting enjoying, just enjoying it the, yeah the we episode. had to go back and rewatch bits yeah uh i think dc fontana kicked it out of the park I love DC fontana. yeah i love dc fontana as do we all. Mm-hmm.